0: A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact, I just went and did it. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today we have a really cool couple who's sailing around the world. I got, or I didn't get in touch with, they got in touch with me first via my other project, pet passion project on YouTube, my Surf Pro Techniques. And um, Nick contacted me and I kind of looked him up on his Facebook page and it seemed like they were doing a really Cool adventure, so I thought I'd bring them on the podcast, and we get to hear a little bit about how they're doing it and what motivated it. So, with that said, I'd like to welcome Nick and Teresa to the show. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, hello, hello. Well,
1: I'm
0: so stoked you guys were able to come on and tell us a little bit about this world travel you've been doing. Um, I've done a little bit of research on your blog, and it seems like you've been out on on the high seas for what about 15 months now. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, we've been sailing about 15 months. We left England about. 20, 20 months ago. Yep. And are you both English? No, I'm English and Teresa is Australian. You can't pick up on the accent.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not that good with accents, but uh, how uh, are you, do you mind if i asking, are you married?
2: No,
1: we're not married. Uh, we've been together for seven years. Um, we met traveling in India, actually. So we kind of met knowing that travel and a bit of a sense of adventure was important to both of us. Um, and we were together for a few weeks on a tour um, around northern India and Nepal, and then we obviously went our separate ways because I was living in Australia at the time and Nick was heading back to London. Um, and then I moved over to London about nine or ten months later, um, and I lived in London ever since. So that was back in 2010, and then, as Nick said, we left London in 2015 uh, to go sailing.
0: Well, wow, how was that transition for you moving to England? And was it easy for you to make that transition and, and stay? I know visas sometimes are issues.
1: Oh, uh, the visa, yeah, the visa thing was a massive issue, but that was an issue of kind of bureaucracy and logistics, um, you know, it, it could easily be overcome. Just, um, you know, you had to go through the process, which was frustrating, but, you know, that's a lot of people have to go through the same thing. Um, but, you know, emotionally was, you know, that the real challenge was the emotional side of things and being away from my family and my friends, um, you know, kind of leaving my job um, and having to get a new job. That was um, tough as well. So, you know, they, these are things that most people who, who made that kind of change in their life had to overcome. Um, but, you know, I loved London. It was a completely different lifestyle to the one that I've had in Adelaide in Australia, which is, you know, a, a great town but not nearly as fast-paced as London. London's in a whole other kind of league of its own. Um, and, you know, it was really exciting to be living there. We lived there together for – well, Nick had been there his whole life, but I, I lived there for five years. And, um, no, it was a great, great lifestyle, very fast-paced, quite exhausting, but really fun at the same time.
0: Nice. And uh, how about you, Nick? You were born and raised in London. Yeah, yeah, born there, raised there, yeah, worked there. So yeah, that's that's
2: my thing. Um, you know, traveled when I could, uh, and spent most of my holidays traveling.
0: Um, so yeah, I'm a, a Londoner through and through. All righty. Were you guys uh, interested in sailing prior to this adventure? Had you grown up sailing? Like, what was that about? No. Well, what happened
2: was about I don't know. It must have been about ten years ago. I kind of um, I used to go to. Oh, I still do. I go on a holiday in Greece. Uh, my parents have a little place on one of the greek islands so i used to sit on the dock and watch all the sailing boats go in and i thought well you know what i'd like to sail and i actually talked with my dad for years about buying a sailboat and we never really got around to it so about 10 years ago i thought right i'm gonna buy a boat and so i went and did all my research and i found i think i i figured out i was going to spend six thousand pounds which i think at this day and age is about eight eight or nine thousand dollars on a boat because i thought if i if i Sink it or set fire to it or I don't like it. I'm not bankrupting myself. So I went and found, um, a boat, um, a 1980 25 foot sailboat that was a real heap. And I bought it and I found this boat in a marina in Kent, which is to the uh, east of London. And I said to the marina owner, I'm happy to buy the boat, but I have to keep the boat here because I, I i've never been on a boat before apart from a ferry okay so so yeah literally i went down there i you know people helped me out to try and get the boat off the mooring and i did a lot of reading and i took a couple of weekend courses um in just how not to drown and how to the basics of sailing a boat uh, or dinghy really and i took a navigational course and then every weekend i just went out and just sailed uh and learned The ropes, which I think is where the the
0: expression comes from, right? And it was a passion from the start, or did you have to learn to love it? No, it's to tell you the truth, it wasn't the say. It was
2: actually the lifestyle that really sort of drew me in. I think you know the job I did in London was fairly. It it, it was all consuming, and I got to the point in London where a lot of my friends were in their thirties, and we were all you know without it sounds kind of like as if we're bragging but we were all doing financially well with our careers and so conversations invariably turned to you know which car you were going to buy next or which golf handicap you had i've never played golf although i did have the cars and going down to this kind of sleepy little village in kent i just found it just a complete antithesis to this people didn't really have much money but they were so helpful and kind and it just sucked me in just you know no one ever talked about what I did. you know about how my job was going. They just wanted to sail,
0: and how about for you teresa was was that how you kind of found sailing too was through Nick, or did you have any experience in any way with sailing in the ocean?
1: Well, I didn't have any experience sailing at all before I'd met Nick. Um, I'd always been a bit of an ocean baby because my dad's a surfer, so I'd spent all my childhood basically you know on the beach and in the water. So being in and around and on the water was something that came very naturally to me, but I'd never been on a sailboat. Um, however, when I met Nick in India, um, you know, we're talking about obviously ourselves and, and what our hobbies were and what our lives were like back at home, back in, you know, the normal world. And he said to me that he was a very keen sailor and that basically took up all of his free time and that if I were to come over and want to be with him, then basically I had to – I'd take that up as a hobby as well because otherwise we'd never see each other because, you know, he spent his entire weekend down in Kent sailing and, um, you know, if I didn't like it, then we weren't really going to be able to spend much time together. Mm-hmm. So uh, I knew from the very beginning that I'd really had to like it, otherwise I was never going to see my boyfriend. So, you know, by this point, by the time that I moved to London, Nick had upgraded to a 32-foot boat. Um, which is, you know, obviously a little bit more comfortable for the two of us to be staying on. Um, and, you know, we went down every weekend and usually we'd do one or two sails maybe throughout the weekend. They were usually quite short sales and I did enjoy it, but I didn't fall in love with it. I, you know, it was something that I did because Nick liked it. Um, the weather played a huge part in my attitude towards sailing because it was always cold. You know, we always, Rugged up with lots of layers on and with wet weather gear on. It was always grey, it was always windy. You know, on the rare occasion that we got a really lovely, sunny, warm day, it was very, very pleasant being on the water. But for the most part, it was just a bit of a kind of, it was just a bit of an endurance thing. And, you know, I liked some of, some of, some aspects of it. I liked the social aspect. You know, we'd go sailing with Nick's friends and I did enjoy that. Um, but as I said, it, you know, it was hard work being in those kinds of kind of English English weather conditions and, and having to um, sail this boat around. Um, so I, I kind of suspected that it could be better than what we were experiencing. I, I strongly suspected that it could actually be really awesome. But what we were experiencing on the weekend was um, often just a bit of a slog, really.
0: Yeah. would 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 that be fair to say, like, warmer weather might have made the experience a lot better for you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we go on our summer holidays to, usually it was to Greece again with Nick's parents. And, um, you know, the weather was just so beautiful. And you'd see all these boats kind of, you know, gently sailing across the horizon. And, you know, you just thought, my God, that just looks so idyllic and, and perfect. And yet there we were kind of beating into the wind almost every single weekend, you know, with all of our wet weather gear on. So, you know, I just... And also because I I love traveling, I I really wanted to do some more traveling, which we weren't really able to do much when we were living in London because we were so tied down to our work. And every time we had any kind of proper length of time off, we would tend to go back to Australia to see my family. So, you know, the idea of taking a boat and traveling with it somewhere where the weather was really lovely and warm, that appealed to me. Mm -hmm. So sailing in England didn't necessarily appeal to me, but I really thought that, Once we got down to some better weather, then that it could be a lifestyle that I really, really enjoyed. Mm Um, but to that end, we kind of did a bit of a, um, test summer in France. So we took, um, our boat, which by this time was another boat again. It was Nick's third boat and our current boat, Ruby Rose, Mm -hmm. um, which was a, is a 38 foot boat. And we took her down to France for, Uh, about five weeks over the summer Mm -hmm. Um, and it was you know a real kind of chance for us to see whether a we enjoyed living on the boat um, and b we enjoyed the actual sailing part of the boat when the weather was nice and and warm and, and favorable and thankfully we absolutely loved it we just completely fell in love with it we were I think both a little bit worried that living on a 38 foot boat even though it was only for five or six weeks was going to be really tough and we weren't going to enjoy it. But we did. We loved it. We just thought it was the most amazing thing. We didn't want to go back. Um, And, you know, Nick's already kind of slightly touched on the community that um, the sailing world kind of is, and and that's not just true in Kent. It's true probably all across the world, but certainly in every place that we've been to so far. Um, and, And definitely in France, you know, there was a sailing community just waiting to be tapped into um both of French sailors but also English sailors as well. There were lots of English sailors there and other European sailors as well. So there was this huge community and everything was so well set up for yachting and sailing and we just absolutely, I mean, we like France even at the best of times, even in not, not sailing around France. We, we love going to France but, you know, it, it was just the most amazing experience and it really kind of solidified in our minds that this is something that we wanted to do full time.
0: Can I ask what you folks were doing in London, like where your daily was? What were your, your jobs? Yeah, I was a cosmetic dentist.
1: And um, I was a paramedic.
0: Okay. And so you're kind of in the grind in the nine to five and then getting uh, some time on the weekends to sail. Uh, well, to tell you, it wasn't nine to five. I mean, I was doing eight to late. Um, oh,
2: wow. So it was it, it was an intensive and it was my own business. So apart from the, the clinical work, I had to run my own practice, which it did suck it out of me. Mm.
1: and also I was doing um, shift work so um, I was lucky enough by the end of the, the time that we were spent, say in London I was lucky enough to be able to kind of control my own shifts to a certain extent but I was often doing nights or weekends so um, you know I'd, I'd not often find myself during the week with Nick at work and then over the weekends I'd be I'd be working so you know we it, it was a struggle to get time together to go sailing or do anything else for that matter so you know, it, it, yeah, it's a fast paced lifestyle in London. Anyone who lives there will be able to tell you it's it's always tough. You know, even just getting to work is tough. It's it's not easy. Um, and it, it's draining and it's exhausting.
0: I see. So when you started concocting this plan to maybe transition to life on the boat, was there like dates set towards the future, future goals set with timeframes and amounts of money that you were going to try to leave with? How did you start preparing?
2: Um, it, it, basically, a couple of things happened
0: that. Really, we'd always
2: talked about it since the beginning. You know, Teresa and I disagree a little bit about, we've talked about what happened in the past. Um, I thought I wanted to sail around the world. But Teresa believes that I, that, uh, I only wanted to sail around Europe and that she convinced me to, to sail around the world. I don't actually know <laughs> is the truth. We're, we're both
1: taking credit for having the okay. <laughs> same
2: fantastic idea. Fair enough. Yeah. So
1: it was my idea, that was my idea.
2: It was always planned that we were going to go leave. Uh, the precise destination is. Unknown um but uh, it was going to be we were going to go to this to the sun that 's the first thing, so we had no real idea of time frame and then a couple of things happened which kind of started the ball rolling a little faster. The first was that because I live basically my I moved my entire social life to this sailing community in Kent, sailors, especially in England, tend to be older, so I found my my social group um were more in their, probably their 40s to 70s. So if you can imagine the quintessential English pub on a Friday night, you know, serving, you know, what the Americans would hate, which is warm, flat beer, you know, we would all gather around. And I found a very, very amazing group of friends who would just look after me and continue to look after me because I, you know, I was new to sailing, but they became, and they still are really good friends. The problem is that because they were older, Through a series of unfortunate events, we had three or four of my really good friends just die in about six months through varying things. I mean, it got to the point where one of my friends died while I was at the funeral of another one of my friends. So it kind of made me really have to accept the fact that all my friends that died had these plans that we had and they'd never put them into action. And I think that's what really, that's the first thing. It really tipped me over the edge. It's like, you know, There is a time to do these things and there's a time to put these things off. And, um, you know, this is, this was the time to do these things. I've also one of my best friends tells me a story that, you know, I won't mention his name, but if he ever listens to your podcast, he will know who he is, but he is a a brilliant, brilliant friend of mine. And he always tells me this. He told me the story about his father. His father had this, uh, this plan that when he's, when he retired, he was going to walk around the UK. And his father bought, um, do you know what a pup tent is? Yeah. Yeah. So he bought a pup tent and basically in part of his preparation for his retirement plans, he bought this pup tent to, to go, I'm not sure, i even sure how long it was going to take for him to walk around the UK. Anyway, it comes to his retirement date and his father puts off the plans and works another year and so on and so on. And it actually got to the point where his father got sick and died and never never managed, never actually sort of like realized his plans. Now my my, my friend keeps his father's pup tent in his loft and he says, I can't bear to throw it away because it is, it just encapsulates all my father's dreams. And that story really also pushed me forward. So having a, a really good set of friends that in many cases just hadn't realized what they wanted to, that was the first thing that, that, that kind of galvanized me forward. Mm. The second thing was, um, something which is inherent in, um, in dentistry or endemic in dentistry is back problems. So I was running a lot. I was doing a lot of, you know, medium distance running. And I was laying in bed one Sunday morning. Um, and I sneezed and I thought, that doesn't feel good. You know, I suddenly got this shooting pain down my leg. But I thought, hey, you know, what it's back pain. I, I live with it. So I woke up on the Monday morning and I couldn't feel my lower leg. So that was my lower right leg. So I thought, okay, this isn't good if I've got a numb leg anyway. Um a series of MRIs later, I've got a ruptured disc and a the, the you know, the discussion with a neurosurgeon, you, know, you need surgery. And I'm, I'm, I said to Michael, well, so I said to the neurosurgeon, can I, you know, can I go to, can I have the surgery on a Friday and come back to work on a Monday? And he said, yeah, you can come back to work three months on Monday. And I said, okay, fine. I'm not having the surgery. I, I, I've got a business to run. And, you know, through a lot of, well, a lot of hard work, a lot of kind of physio. Um, I kind of got myself to where my back was usable and I can sail and I can surf and I can wander around perfectly normally. I just going to be quite careful. But it also made me realize that, you know, my health doing dentistry was just not, it was just in decline and I didn't want to end up, you know, crippled um,
0: or unable to do the things that I love. And, and for you, Teresa, you were, you were on that path too, as, as kind of, you could see his desire to get out there and, and really take that leap and it was time to do it instead of waiting and you were just on board for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, um, we, when I moved to London, I kind of said to Nick, right, I think that five years is a good length of time for us to be living in London together and kind of hatched this plan that, you know, at, that five years was going to be our, our, our time frame, and that we were going to, after that five years, you know, have some adventure. And, um, we, we kind of said that that would be our sailing adventure. Um, because I couldn't see myself living in London kind of long term forever and ever. It was just too much, you know, as the reasons I've already described. So, um, you know, but our plans, and I think you said before that, you know, you might touch on how we fund this, um, a little bit later in the podcasts, but our plans really depended on, on Nick being able to save up, um, enough money and to sell his business, you know, at kind of a, a good enough, um, or a high enough amount that we'd be able to, to fund buying the boat in the first place and then obviously you know funding our lifestyle going forward so we couldn't really rush it because we had to we had to save up the money um so you know that that five-year time frame was we thought adequate to do those things and the fact that Nick hurt his back really i think that it didn't speed things up but it really gave us a Good reason, a good excuse to put the plan into action because you know you you have all these plans and you talk about it. And as Nick kind of mentioned before, with the anecdote about his friend's father, it's very easy to continue to put off the plans because you're you know you're you're living a life where you're earning money and you can just see that kind of slippery slope where you just continue to try and chase more and more money. Um, and it's never a good time to leave because there's always reasons why it might not be a good time to leave. So you know i was i was very much on board um i you know we we obviously um it, it was quite a stressful experience trying to sell next business it was a prolonged and painful um you know it, it was over 18 months and it was really stressful much more stressful than kind of buying and selling a house or anything like that it was um something that you know we <laughs> we really found tough um not least because all our dreams were kind of hinging on this sale going through and it just seemed to kind of you know be almost falling through um, every few weeks. There was something going wrong that, that meant that it was um, being pushed back. So, you know, by the time basically we, um, you know, had all our ducks in a row and everything was done and we were able to move forward with our plans, we were very, very ready to
0: go. Yeah, I mean, I can. yeah, it sounds like that would be stressful. And so it sounds like it all worked out. And after 18 months, you sold the business and uh, progressed forward with the, the sailing plans.
1: Yep, that's right. So, um, you know, we finally had all the, um, you know, the, the paperwork done and everything was signed on the dotted line and, and all the, you know, the, the, the contracts had been cleared and everything. And we were able to, um, finally, you know, at last, and it was quite a surreal moment, really, finally being free. And that was the real, um, I think foremost emotion that we had this sense of freedom at last. Um, and, and we were able to, um, as I said, you know, move forward and, so we put all of our not all of our things but a lot of our things into storage we sold or gave away the rest um you know we had two cats that we had to rehome. home uh we you know rent out our our flat in London and um we moved onto our boat
0: awesome so let's let's uh fast forward to now you're you're got the boat prepared and you're setting sail like let's talk reality let's talk reality check and how that felt as you left uh England and and started taking that first real big breath of like, all right, we're doing this. What was that like?
2: Um, it was surreal. It it was strange. I remember, um, the day it was the 7th of May and it was a lovely sunny day. And it's, uh, we planned this for so long and the the marina we keep the boat in is tidal. So the water has to come in for us to get off our mooring. Mm -hmm. And we sat on the boat watching the water come in. Uh I suppose in some ways it was bittersweet because we knew that we wouldn't be back for a long while. And yeah, I remember just sailing out of the marina and we had friends on their bountiful and he's waving goodbye to us as we kind of motored down this little creek. And yeah, we set off and the first, we hadn't sailed because just the way that everything worked, we had, it was the beginning of the sailing season. So we hadn't sailed in about nine months. We'd literally put the boat to bed. And taken the sails off and just got her ready inside and fitted all the bits, but no real sailing in winter because it's just miserable in in England. So we you know we. I remember thinking, yeah, you know, I'm a bit worried about putting both sails up, so I'll we'll just put the foresail up. And we sailed down to Ramsgate, which is a little seaside town, and it was just kind of, yeah, we've done it, we've we've left, and it was, yeah, it was just, it it was really liberating. I suppose a, a lot of the things that we've done. I think when you look back on on th- on events in your life you you remove you, you know you, you do canonize them a bit because you're not worrying about things because they've already come to pass but looking
0: back on it, it yeah it was fantastically liberating that's beautiful man so let's let's go into the ups and downs of life on on the sailboat and and the places you've been a little bit what are, what have been some of the highlights for you both
2: i think I, I, we, we wrote, um, oh, Teresa actually wrote a really good article somewhere on our, our website or the mag, for a magazine about our, our highlights. I think we both have different things that caught, that, that have made, made our, our time. I think what I'll do is I'll talk about my favorites and let Teresa come in with hers. Perfect. Um, sailing down the coast of England is beautiful. Um, and you know, so, so, as soon as you get to the West country down to Devon and Cornwall, everything changes and it's, it's fantastic. Um, and I, that was just really enjoyable. We'd done that a couple of times before. Um, we then crossed to um, northern Spain. So we did a, a long passage, um, which was three days and three nights, um, to uh, La Coruña in northern Spain. And we had some friends come and help us with that. So there were four of us sailed across. But then once we kind of, they'd left a few days later, we went around to the Spanish Rias and just anchored there. And at that point, we both thought, okay, we've done it. We've left. We're in Europe. This is the start of this adventure, and it was just just living that lifestyle and exploring a part of the world we'd never been to was absolutely amazing. Northern Spain, Galicia, the food is fantastic. We're both really into food, and it's beautiful, it's cheap, and there's not many tourists, so that was fantastic. So that was amazing. We really enjoyed that, yeah? Mm
1: -hmm. Yep.
2: Um, Morocco, at the time it was stressful because Morocco is just a crazy place, and it's really not set up for sailors. So a lot of people that go down towards the Canary Islands, which is the jump point for the Atlantic crossing, go to Madeira. But we thought, no, no, we want to see Morocco. So we spent a month cruising the coast of Morocco, and there were some places in that in Morocco that were just that mind blowing. I mean, Teresa and I have luckily travelled most of the world, and we tend to travel off the beaten pathway. You know, we're not, we don't go to you know resorts or hotels we tend to travel independently and find you know huts on the beach or you know little places in mountains that people don't use that often and the thing about Morocco is of all the places we've been you know from north Vietnam to northern India that was the most backward we've ever found anything there were plots of Morocco we're like wow you know we could be back in time a thousand years here it is just crazy so that was another highlight for me and I think the third highlight, which I'm sure Teresa agree with, is when we got to St. Lucia after crossing the Atlantic, that was just, it was absolutely amazing. But I'll let, I'll pass over to Teresa and I'll let her tell you her highlights and then a bit about St. Lucia.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I agree with Nick. I thought, I think that the, the time in Spain was special because it really marked the beginning of, you know, our adventure. Um, but between leaving the UK and arriving in the Caribbean, it was all, you know, we, we're all working towards crossing the Atlantic. That was, you know, we're kind of on a bit of a, um, a, a timetable because we had to get to the Canaries by October. We had to cross the Atlantic in November. So we always felt like we're being kind of pushed forward and we're looking forward to, to getting that Atlantic crossing under our belt, boat, um, under our belt, because it was something that we're both quite apprehensive about it was obviously a huge undertaking and we'd never done anything like that before. So we're both always looking forward to this process. Um, And so the actual crossing itself, the three weeks at sea was, I think it has to be not only one of the highlights of our, our kind of time sailing, but one of the highlights of my life because it was something that was just, it was challenging and, you know, it shouldn't be, I don't want to be too kind of self-congratulatory, but, you know, with I think did deserve a bit of a pat on the back by the end of it because we managed to get both of ourselves and our two crew and our boat um, to the other side of the Atlantic Ocean in three weeks without any damage to anyone or anything. Um, and it had all been, you know, fairly uneventful, which is obviously what you want. And it sounds relatively straightforward. You, you kind of you put your sails up, you point your bow in the direction you want to go, and then you just kind of sit back and, and wait to arrive at the other side. And in a, in a sense, that's pretty much all it entails. However, the, we did the Atlantic crossing with, um, a rally. So there was it, with the ARC rally, which is, I think, the biggest rally in the world. And there was upwards of 200 boats on this rally. And there were some absolutely catastrophic events that happened on this rally. I mean, one boat sunk, one person was medically evacuated. You know, there were lots of quite serious injuries, um, lots of, um, really, um, quite serious, um, either malfunctions or, or damage to boats taking place. Um, and, and it was, I mean, perhaps part of the reason for that were people were, you know, pushing their boats to, to go really fast across the Atlantic, or obviously some of it was bad luck. Um, but we thought that we really achieved something quite, um, special in getting the boat to the other side. Um, unmarked and, and, um, all, all of us in one piece because it became obvious when we had got to St. Lucia that that was not the norm, actually, that a lot of people had problems crossing the Atlantic. So I think that that was a huge achievement, which we're really, really proud of. And it gave us a huge, um, boost of confidence for, you know, our sailing going forward. We thought if we could achieve that, then, you know, we can basically, we can continue with our dream. If it had been a unmitigated disaster, then perhaps we would, um, we would have rethought our plans, but it was just a huge sense of relief that that was behind us, and obviously now we we're in the Caribbean and we're able to sail around kind of, you know, this tropical paradise for the, the next six months. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a moment in our lives where we really felt that we were proper sailors now. We, we weren't just waiting to do it. We were actually doing
0: it. That's rad. Yeah, good accomplishment. Congratulations. Um, how about some lowlights? What, what have been the hardest things to really just – wrap your head around like this is the reality of my life now i've had a sailboat so i kind of know that sailboats are always taking maintenance and a lot of hard work and what kind of things can you say are just like fr- super frustrating you d- wish you never had to deal with
2: um i don't think anything's super frustrating i think i've been around boats and people around boats you know that you know it's not like having a car i think as Teresa put in an article it's she, our boat is like a needy child she always needs something you know we can never leave her alone there's always something to fix or to clean or to, or to mend. Um, so the maintenance, yeah, it's can be, it's slightly, it's, you know, it's part of boat ownership. Mm. Um, I think that there are certain frustrations that occur more so in the Caribbean in that fixing things is really expensive, you know, getting parts, you know, in Europe, you can get a part delivered and put back in a, Worst case scenario, a week, they'll still, you know, they'll ship you out, you know, a new autopilot or an engine in a week. In the Caribbean, it can take months. Um, and we, we know of a boat that, you know, got across the Atlantic in December last year with us and the engine packed up and they're still on the same pontoon six months later because they can't get the engine fixed. Um, so you, that's a problem. I think the other thing about the big difference between living on a boat full time. And just living on a boat for a week at a time is that once you start living on a boat full time, you have to start doing all the chores that you would normally, you know, take home with you after a week sailing, you know, as you go along, you know, so you go on holiday for a week, you know, at the end of the week, you take all your dirty laundry and you take it home and you stick it in your washing machine. Or if you want to do your groceries, you go to the, you know, you take the car to the store, takes an hour for most of what we want to do. Doing our laundry will take three or four hours. Um, going to buy food can sometimes take a day, you know, because if we're, if we're a, a way away, we were off, off the island of Martinique, um, anchored, um, and we wanted because it was, we knew that Martinique had good food. Uh, and we'll t- come back to this later. Sometimes in the Caribbean, we actually find it very difficult to find food. So, you know, we anchored up, then we get the dinghy to shore, which is what 20 minutes, 30 minutes by the time you've tied up. Then you've got to walk to find a bus. That's another half an hour. Um, then it's an hour on the bus, then two hours in the supermarket or an hour and a half in the supermarket. Then we had to wait 40 minutes for the cab. Then it was an hour back in the cab, then half an hour back to the, the – so, you know, a shopping trip, which normally would take an hour if you were living in a house, this took us a day, you know, and we're both exhausted by the end of it. So um, there was, chores just take longer. That's, that's it, really, isn't it? Mm
1: yeah and i i'll just pick up on something else um and i think it's it's very kind of um typical that the man talks about the practicalities and and what i'm going to talk about is something a little bit different but i think i um i'm definitely not alone in that i i think that one of the most challenging aspects of living on board is actually interpersonal relationship with each other um you're kind of um that lack of proximity to your good friends and your family, you know, you are literally stuck on a boat with one other person um for, you know, a long, long time. And that can be the biggest challenge, I think. And um, as I said, I'm I'm not alone in thinking that a lot of the, you know, it's quite amusing, really, because often when we catch up with other couples who are sailing, or we meet another couple for the first time, let's just say we're at, a bar or something and we're approached by a couple who, you know, have seen us zipping around in the dinghy, they know we're also in the anchorage and and we sit down and have a beer together, you know, you're having a chat all together and and the men and it's, you know, it's very kind of, I don't know, gender typical that the men start talking about, I don't know, the engine that needs fixing or the sail that has a a rip in it that they need to repair or they, they just start talking about boat maintenance and the two women usually turn to each other and start Moaning about the fact that they, um, you know, they're always arguing with their husband, or you know that, um, you know, their relationship is suffering, or that they're finding it really difficult being away from their family, their children, their parents, whatever. So it's, it's, it seems to me that the women find it difficult in a completely different way than the men. Um, and you know, I I like to think of myself as quite progressive, and I, I don't want to be too kind of gender specific, but it's true that just seems to be the way that um, you know we we kind of naturally deal with these these um these, this kind of lifestyle and it's something that you know it shouldn't be kind of understated because you know you're living on a boat with your significant other and um, it's a completely different lifestyle to living in a house where you barely see each other because you're at work all day and then when you do see each other on the weekend you're usually surrounded by all these other people you rarely get quality time together. Um, and now suddenly you've got nothing but quality time together, but you, you suddenly need that other outlet. You need to have your friends. You need to have your family. You need to be able to get away from each other. And I mean, we can't go to work because we don't have a work, to, a job to go to, but you know, you, you need to continue to live separate lives somehow to retain your sanity. But that's really hard when you're both stuck on a, a small boat together. So figuring out how to manage that dynamic, which is completely. You know, it's a completely new experience. Um, I think that was one of the main challenges that we had to overcome. So I think that's also an aspect of, of sailing, of, of cruising, of living aboard that isn't really discussed very much because mainly, well, I personally think because, you know, all the sailing magazines and the forums and everything, you know, they've, they've got a lot of male contributors and, uh, you know, it's the women who want to talk about the more interpersonal issues. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think, um, it's something that isn't, isn't talked about nearly as much as it should be.
0: Yeah. Can you share some tips maybe? I mean, since you've been at it now for quite a while that have really helped you both, um, get through those moments?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. And I, I'm, um, on a Facebook group called women who sail. And by the way, if any women, um, who are interested in sailing or who actually sail are listening to this podcast, then, um, look them up on Facebook. It's called women who sail and it's only a group only for women. Um, and it's a, Amazing, amazing network um, and really, really supportive and it has a amazing wealth of information on everything to do with yachting and sailing. Um, and this is uh, an issue that gets raised on this Facebook page uh, quite often and only last week. And a, a woman that I've never met before um, posted uh, to the group and she said that she's living on board with her husband. They're living in a marina and they're both getting up and going to work every day. Um, and she's finding it really, really tough to be living with him on a boat, all of a sudden, they've been married for a long time, and, um, you know, that she's just really finding it difficult. Their relationship has started to deteriorate because of the close proximity that they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically said, please help, you know, what are your tips? And obviously, you know, it, the, there were a huge number of comments because, as I said, everyone, yeah. every woman on a boat yeah, with a man <laughs> has <laughs> a, a wealth of kind of, uh, advice that they would like to and everyone was very sympathetic as you can imagine Mm -hmm. um so my main well it sounds a little bit pessimistic but I really think that it's true that any problems that exist in your relationship already will only be compounded by living on a boat so if you're in a relationship that you know might have a few issues or whatever then you know, and you're planning to move onto a boat together, then you really have to be honest um, with yourself and with each other as to whether that's going to do your relationship any good because I promise you living on a boat is only going to kind of magnify any even minute problems that you may already have. Mm-hmm. So the first piece of is if you're going to live on a boat with someone, make sure you get along with them really, really well. Um, and I think second to that, obviously, uh, once you're living on a boat with um, your partner is to make sure that you have um, time to yourself and, and carve out a portion of your day where you have alone time and you do whatever it is that you want to do with that time. So it doesn't necessarily have to be getting off the boat and getting physically away from one another, although I do suggest that as well, because I think that, that is really important. Um, but for me and Nick, for example, you know, I um do exercise on, on the boat, I do workouts and I literally tell Nick to sit in the cockpit and wait, you know, whatever, half an hour, forty five minutes, however long it it is that I'm gonna take and wait there until I'm done. And, you know, if he steps into the saloon while I'm kind of doing my squats or my push ups or whatever, you know, he'll he'll get a look from me to say, you know, get out of my way because this is my alone time. This is this is the time that I, I have to myself and You know, it's, it's me kind of sweating and, and puffing and, and doing whatever it is that I'm doing. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really, um, it's really therapeutic for me to be able to have that time to myself every day. And for Nick, he plays musical instruments. So he often gets his guitar out, um, or his banjo and he'll sit and he'll, he'll, um, play some music for a while. And so that is, I think, his, um, kind of alone time and his little creative outlet. Um, So it's important to have these hobbies that only you do. I I write, I write the blog, and that's something else that I do just for myself. Um, Although, you know, obviously the blog is there for anyone else to enjoy as well, but it's something that I find really therapeutic myself and that I enjoy. So it's important to have these hobbies that are just for you alone, that you're not doing together, that are just for yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, also, as I touched on, it's really important to have friends. And this is, again, something that, I I can't really um, overstate the importance of you must have people that you can go and talk to around you and trust me when I say that everyone else around you needs the same thing so don't be shy to go and introduce yourself to you know your neighbours or whoever because yachties are a very very social bunch and they don't really need much encouragement to kind of bring the beers out and to sit down and have a good old chat with you so you know it's something that we need to work on because it's a little bit daunting to go and introduce yourself to total strangers but you have to even if you're sitting right next to each other you know having that time talking to someone else it doesn't have to be you know you going off by yourself and having a coffee with a girlfriend it can be as a group but just that you know, just being able to chat to someone who isn't your partner is, I think, really, really important as well. So, yeah, they're my three tips.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's very enlightening. And I will link all those resources up and your blog, obviously, at the end in my show notes so people can find you and uh, those resources. That's super awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, as, as I understand now, you've been in Europe and the Caribbean, and that's kind of spanned the last 15 months. Is that correct, more or less?
2: Yeah, with our sailing. Yeah, that was… With uh, your sailing, uh, that is, yeah.
0: yeah. So, yeah, that's… yeah and so then far. um where so where where to next where you uh shipping off to next for the sailing portion of this adventure
2: well as i said we 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 intend to sail from antigua to new york that's mm-hmm. next season i think um just touching on the last point about you know problems with sailing well, not problems issues that we've had last year we we put as you know sail- sailing is seasonal so you kind of do a season and you have an off season when it's winter and then you kind of you know go back to it because we were going from Europe to the Caribbean. We did two seasons back to back. So by the time we got to Antigua, we were we were exhausted. We both kind of got to the point where we didn't want to sail anymore. Mm. We just put too many miles in. So next season, we're going to take more time to do less distance. So we've got about 2,000 miles to do and we've got about six months to do it. Um, so yeah, next season, Antigua, um, through the Bahamas and then up to uh, Florida and the States. Uh, and that's it. There are apparently some awesome surf breaks in the bvis and i hear there's surf in florida so i intend to spend some time just surfing those breaks and taking time away from the boat uh, and that's it really
0: how's your back holding up for the surf surf breaks to tell you since i
2: since i stopped work and you know it's fine you know you've got to be careful you know teresa says i should stretch more yeah but i'm a bloke so i don't stretch as much as i should do Mm. um but no surfing is fine there are certain things you know I played squash in Antigua with a friend and I shouldn't have done that really stuff back up. Hmm. Um, but, you know, surfing and sailing doesn't cause me problems. Um Work did.
0: I see. So it sounds like you're just going to continue on seasonally and uh take it, take it at your own pace. There's no rush. It sounds like, I mean, you're kind of in this for, it sounds like at least a few more years. Is that, is that correct?
2: Yeah, we have some friends. Like Teresa said, we did, um, a rally across the Atlantic with the world cruising club and the world cruising club are famous for doing what's called the Arc, which is the Atlantic rally for cruisers, but they also do other rallies and there's what's called the world Arc, which is a, you know, that you, you circumnavigate, you do the entire world in 15 months. And we had some really, really good friends that, you know, we spent Christmas day with them last year. We crossed the Atlantic almost within sight of each other last year. So they are close friends and they continued on to go around the world. And, you know, they went from St. Lucia through Panama, Australia, the Philippines, and they're now in South Africa to come back. And we're in contact with them. And one thing that they've said is that they rushed. So they had to rush certain portions. And some people have to rush because they have to go back to work on sabbatical. For us, as soon as you start rushing things, it makes things difficult. I think the other thing is being able to take downtime and go back to family makes a big difference to family as well as to us. Um, some people will say that we're not doing it properly, that we're being lazy by not living on the boat 12 months a year. But it's really subjective and all sailors are different. And for us, it works. We've taken a long time away from the boat this year only because we were in a hurricane zone in the Caribbean just before hurricane season started. So we had to take six months off sailing um, before we could go back. We're not going to do that again because we've realized that we've taken, well, we both feel we've taken too much time away from the boat. We really miss it. Um So, yeah, we're going to do seasons, eight to nine months. A year until we finish beautiful. whether that finished circumnavigating or we just get tired or we never get tired. We don't know. I think one thing that I say to Teresa all the time now is I'm gonna try I'm trying hard. And I'm not there yet, but I'm better than I was. And stop thinking about the future. Stop thinking about what's gonna happen in a month or in six months. Just try and enjoy
0: the now. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um you feel the same, Teresa, just just capture the moment and seize the day and stay in the now and and just continue on until you guys get sick of it?
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. I agree with that in theory. I think that um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am an obsessive planner and I love to have everything kind of mapped out in front of me. So um, I find that kind of difficult. Nick, you know, I try and discuss our plans with Nick and he says, well, you know, let's just enjoy what we're doing at the moment. And i say, yeah, I am enjoying it, but I also (laughs) really enjoy planning the next stage as well. So, um, you know, Nick is quite philosophical about our plans. I like to think that I've got a relatively firm idea of what our plans are, but I also uh, enjoy the, the spontaneity of, of changing your plans last minute and, and doing something else that is, um, you know, that, that's part of what having an adventurous lifestyle means is to say, well, we were going to do this, but actually let's let's go and do something completely different. Let's go and do, you know, this or that instead. So, you know, that that is um. That's an attitude that I I like to kind of adhere to as well. Um, just taking advantage of whatever opportunities come up and, um, and going with them, even if it seems a bit crazy. Um, at the time, I I like the idea of being spontaneous. Um, but certainly, as Nick says, you know, our plans are to circumnavigate, um, whether those plans come to fruition or not. I don't know, but it's certainly a goal of ours to. It's a goal. Yes. I think that that's what we like to talk in terms of goals rather than plans. You know, we've got goals in mind and, and we want to achieve them. Um, and, and the main one, the big one, is to, um, you know, complete the certain navigation of the world. Uh, how long that will take, I have no idea. Um, and what route exactly will take, I also don't know. Mm. But certainly... You know, we're in the Caribbean at the moment, and, you know, over the next probably at least the next 12 months, we'll continue to be either in the States or the Caribbean. Um, and then, you know, we'd love to go through Panama Canal across the Pacific and, um, and sail around the South Pacific um, for I don't know, however long it is that we feel like doing that for. Um, but after that, things get a bit blurry. I'm not quite sure what will happen after that.
0: All right. Well said. If you could each take a moment and just think about if someone were you know back in london or in a city with a 9 to 5 or whatever job they have who's thinking about doing this type of adventure what kind of advice would you give them you know in a brief kind of little summary or paragraph what would you say to somebody who says like i want to do it but i don't know how to start
2: um i think it's probably fairly glib to just say just do it you know and i think <laughs> Mike probably be right from that but i think what i would say is that not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to get you know the stars aligned to, to allow them to leave mm-hmm. i think that looking back on it and i say this genuinely i'm not, not just trying to convince myself it is the best thing we ever did it is it is in some ways challenging in other ways we live a dream lifestyle and you know while you know we've had to look to change the way we look at our finances where the way our money comes in how we spend money our, our life is so much richer for it no
1: yeah absolutely i think that um that that's exactly you know as nick says you, you kind of want to just say to whoever might want this advice you know just just get off your bum and and just go and do it just stop thinking about it and just do it and to a certain extent that's true but as Nick touched on that's not realistic to some people um but what I would say is that you know there are if you if this is really something that you want um then there are creative ways of going about getting it so you know perhaps you uh might not want to be able to buy a boat which are expensive things and you might not be able to you know live a nomadic lifestyle um, if you've got a, a certain job that you really need to get up and go to every day. But there are creative ways of achieving, you know, your goals and reaching your dreams. You can always crew for other people, um, especially if you've never really done any sailing before. That's a good way of getting experience and exposure. You can try out for a short period of time. Um, you know, don't sell everything you've got, um, to, to do this. I would say kind of, you know, give it a little, um, trial one first, as we did a few years ago. As I said, um, I think at the beginning of the podcast, we just went to France for just over a month to see if we'd like it. And we did. Um, and that is something that I would, um, advise anyone else to do because a lot of people really love this lifestyle. You know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to be part of a community for, you know, a good, well, what, 18 months now. Yeah where you know we're surrounded by other people doing exactly the same thing as we are and a lot of, most people love it but it doesn't suit everyone and um you know there are plenty of couples who have got I've got one in mind in particular who were actually very good friends of ours who uh you know sailed across the Atlantic who sailed around the Caribbean and then they said to each other you know what we would plan to continue sailing we would plan to I don't know sail long term but it's not working for us. We don't love it as much as we thought we would. And so we're going to sell the boat and we're going to go home. And, um, you know, if they obviously felt, felt that they had achieved what they wanted to achieve and that they didn't feel the need to continue on. But my point is that it's a lifestyle that doesn't suit everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be a good idea to kind of just dip your toe in first rather than kind of jump in, um, without any way of going back.
0: What what kind um, of crewing websites do you guys recommend for people to look look into if they just want to jump on a boat for a short little stint and sail and help people out?
2: I don't I don't actually know.
1: Um <laughs> right. I think
2: it's that, cruise y- seekers?
1: Yeah, we've never used any of the websites before, though we probably will in the future because um we've always had people that we know um putting their hand up. I mean, I think there's one called Cruise Seekers. Cruise Seekers, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, a Google search would, um, would probably, um, do some good. And also, as I said, any women who are interested in sailing, um, if you join the Women Who Sail Facebook page, there's a huge amount of support, um, there. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, that's kind of the, the group that I'm, uh, the fondest advocate of because I think that they're such an amazing, um, group of women, but there's plenty of online support, um, and a wealth of information on the internet, blogs and YouTube and, you know, there's there's so much now, um, so much information out there that you can access. So, yeah, there's a huge amount of research that we can that can be done on the internet before even sitting foot on a
0: boat. Yeah. Um, but as far
1: as uh, crew placements are concerned, I I can't tell you mm-hmm. because I don't have any personal experience. That's right.
0: With any. That's all right. What where, where could people find you if they just had uh, individual questions they wanted to fire at you guys?
1: Sure. Well, our our blog is um, yachtrubyrose.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a contact page there. They can email us. Um, uh, we're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And we are just starting a YouTube channel as well. So, um, you know, if you, you can find all those links through our website. Um, and our, probably our website is the best starting point to, for
2: contacting us.
0: Right on. So that's a yachtrubyrose.com. Did you have something else to add, Nick? No, no,
2: no. I was just, just going back to the point about, you know, um, how to, start this lifestyle uh, i just two points i want to raise which touched on things that therese have said it seems to be that in many cases um there is ever a, a, when it comes to a couple that sale there is one reluctant partner mm-hmm. it's not always the woman but it tends to more often be the lady in the relationship that that, that, that can't deal with it or just doesn't get on with it mm-hmm. and i think that a lot of the time causes a lot of friction and I, and
1: I would say um in defense of the lady in question that um often it's not the living on the boat itself that it's the man the yeah, Yes, it's exactly the man. it's mm-hmm. the, the issues, interpersonal issues on Absolutely. board Absolutely. that um, are the problem
2: and I think the uh, it's the inflexibility of some a lot of the men who are just like well this is what we're doing and yeah. it, it's I and we've we have met a lot of um relationships that have really suffered because of the inflexibility of the male and the partner um and I think that we've got friends that you know are, are, tr- are trying to change their relationship for the better by listening more. And it does make you listen more. It fails. It kind of puts your relationship in the firing line, I think. Um, regarding getting into sailing, we've met a lot of people. And one thing I do want to say is that, firstly, a lot of people, we've met a lot of people doing this at a relatively young age, in their 30s and 40s, not as retirees. And they found ways to do this, either through doing crazy stuff like putting their entire life savings, which for some some of our best friends is about 30000 into buying a boat and just going and finding the money on the way. Um, So another couple we met who were an Australian and a Norwegian, really lovely people, who just went to their bosses and said, we want six months off work. And then they went to the Caribbean, bought an ex-charter yacht, sailed it like crazy around the Caribbean for six months, and then sold it back to the charter company. So there are ways of doing this. Mm. on, on relatively little money
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's good advice really good advice thank you and we touched upon some really cool topics I've got into some relationships how it works and uh, I think some very actionable steps can be taken for anybody who listens to this and wants to go out and try their hands at this type of adventure thank you guys for being so candid and sharing everything and, thank of course. You. and uh, I'll link everybody up to find you and I just want to thank you again you guys have been awesome guests on the show and good luck sailing on your next adventure thank Thanks you very much Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. To live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it... It's the perfect one for you and I'll see you next time.